everybody, and welcome to the Access Ninja podcast, where we talk about accessibility through the lens of technology, life, and design. My name is Jonathan. And I'm Rachel. And today's episode, well, it's a very special episode. It's our discussion about some of the events that happened at Apple's WWDC, or Worldwide Developer Conference, sometimes lovingly referred to uh, by the attendees as WWDC. And this is a uh, a yearly conference that Apple has. Now, its intention is to bring together, you know, the major developers of the uh, uh, of their platforms. That's being the Mac operating system, the uh, iOS, iPhone operating system, their smartwatch, the Apple Watch, and even Apple TV. Uh, their little set top box you can plug into your television. And their intention is to talk about what new features are going to come with the latest updates, which usually come out around September or so. So iOS 12 is coming. We're in 11 right now. That's right. So which was which was the biggest topic they talked about. Also, uh, Mac OS uh, 10.14, which is going to be called Mojave. Uh, I don't know what version of the Apple Watch operating system is off the top of my head, but the latest version of, of that as well. So we're going to jump into uh, some of the things that were talked about uh, from the uh, development side, some of the new features. Uh, we're not going to give you a whole incomplete list of everything that was new and everything that was announced. You can actually check out the entire keynote presentation on Apple's website. Just go to apple.com and and scroll down a little bit. They've actually got a link to the um, to the entire keynote presentation available right on the site. I will warn you, it is about two hours long because they <laughs> did talk about a lot of different things. Uh, and I think a lot of other podcasts and a lot of other websites and tech websites are probably already covering the list of features in detail. But we're going to talk about some things about accessibility. And I'm even going to talk about some of the uh, presentations Apple did for the developers on accessibility itself. Uh, so beyond what the keynote talked about. So Rachel, was there any particular new feature announced, whether it's for iOS or Mojave, that you were particularly excited about? Siri shortcuts. <laughs> That's going to transform my life. And I've been waiting for it for a long time. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, what Siri Shortcuts is, and, and maybe even just in case there's a few people out there who, who are maybe not 100% familiar with how Siri works, so a little bit about that as well. So Siri, it's your quote-unquote virtual assistant for Apple. Uh, there are others, like popular ones like uh, Alexa for the Echo Amazon, and you have Google. Uh, for Google. Actually, I don't think Google has a name, does it? It says, okay, Google. Uh, often referred to as the, the Google Assistant. But yes, uh, uh, the voice Assistant. command is, okay, Google. Yeah. And um, and I, we might have just set off some people's voice assistant by, by me saying it's so pronounced. But And then you have Cortana for Microsoft. But for Apple, it's Siri. And uh, Siri became very, very popular. I think it was one of the first um phone wise so you can ask siri to do certain things for you um things like you know what's the weather what's the temperature um you know i'm crazy about um college basketball so i went to the university of kansas and they're the jayhawks so i can always say 
Siri, did the Jayhawks win? And, you know, he or she, because you can change the voice, uh, will give you um, the, the scores. And I use Siri for a lot, a lot of things, like uh, creating um, appointments. So I say, you know, Siri, create blah, blah appointment for this day at this time. And, you know, Siri would confirm and then, and then boom, it's done. Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of things that you want to do with Siri and Siri sometimes tells you like, sorry, I can't help you with that because uh, developers before couldn't really get to Siri, right? To, to kind of, um, to create, like, to develop certain commands within their apps for Siri to do. Yeah, up until this point, basically, Apple's been the one running all of the commands Siri can do. So they're all based on core things that the phone can already do. Like you mentioned, creating a calendar. Well, Apple already had a calendar built into it. Sending an alarm. Well, you, Apple made the clock on the app. Uh, and even getting information, it was basically relegated to, like, Wikipedia, uh, which was a service that Apple cut a deal with. And slowly they were kind of opening up Siri uh, to allow additional services. Last year, they opened it up so like Uber could create their own voice commands. You could say, get me an Uber, get me a Lyft, and it would integrate. But unless you were one of these few supported commands, you couldn't really get into it. And now they're opening it wide up. Yeah. And uh, the limitations of Siri affected a lot of people. Like um, I know a couple of blind people that lost their sight later on in life. And unfortunately, you know, learning how to use the whole screen and the flicks and the, everything was very difficult. And, and then, uh, in, and one in particular, she had just lost her sight and, and she had her own practice. So she wanted to keep going, right. Using Siri. And, and I remember we were able to put some things in place, like, creating the calendar appointments. And uh, she was even able to listen to some of her email. But then uh, I remember we got into trouble because she would say reply after reading a mail message. And uh, when some mail changes went happened, she wasn't able to, to reply anymore by using Siri. And now the whole world opens up to anybody with any kind of ability. And I think that if you don't have the ability to deal with the screen now with Siri, I mean, it's, it's, it's just amazing. I think Jonathan we would even like be able to maybe create a whole app that could be just a bridge app for uh, Siri and the rest of the phone. So then there's so much potential. So some of you who maybe used a uh, Amazon uh, Alexa before might be thinking that some of these things sound somewhat familiar because Alexa, uh, as a device, has a set of things called skills. So developers can could, could create their own voice commands to work with one of the Amazon Echo devices, whether it be like their standstill speaker or the Echo Dot, you know, these little these little uh, uh, microphone devices here. Uh, and so a developer would go in, write out what they want the commands to be. And in some ways, the Siri shortcuts is similar uh, because what it does is when you download an app, that app is allowed to uh, add commands into Siri. So when you open up the app uh, based on certain activities, uh, there'll be an option to add a new voice command where it makes it a little bit different 
where it kind of stands out is, first of all, the user decides what the voice commands are. So, for example, one of the uh, demos they had of how a developer could create their own Siri command is they created a, a fake app that was for ordering soup. And let's say there was a particular soup that you always like to get. So let's say you like, uh, you know, like the beer cheese soup. And so inside of the app, uh, you would be able to, uh, the app itself would actually suggest out, hey, maybe you should make a voice command that will automatically order your favorite soup. And when you select it, the user yourself, you get to choose what that voice command is. So an example, when, when they were setting up this, they set it up as soup time. So all they have to do is say, hey, Siri, it's soup time. And it would automatically go into their soup ordering app, pick out that soup that they like, order it, and then um, even uh, give them an audible confirmation saying, yes, we ordered your soup. It's available in 15 minutes. Ah, uh, That is so awesome. I mean, it 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 just opens the whole world, you know, like you can say, I'm going home. And then your, you know, I can send a message. You can create a whole automation. It's more than just shortcuts, right? You can create that shortcut to do a whole series of things for you. And all you have to do is give one command after you set it all up. Yeah, so that's like ways into and, and before I move on, I want to apologize to everybody because of what just happened to me is I just used an actual Siri command. I said, hey, followed by Siri, and I said that. And then my phone, <laughs> uh, my phone went off and my Apple Watch went off. And so I imagine that anybody who's on a speaker right now, your device may have gone off as well. So I want to apologize for that. But, <laughs> uh, but Rachel, what you're referring to was in addition to the developers being able to create their own voice commands and suggest them inside of the app, uh, there's going to be a new app that Apple provides simply called, I think it's called Shortcuts. It could be Siri Shortcuts. It's not even available in the beta yet, although they demoed it. And inside of this app, you can take all the voice commands that and functions uh, that your apps have that, su that that support this feature, and you can create your own voice commands that actually combine those together. So you mentioned like the uh, during the keynote, the the presenter I can't remember her name, who's head of this project. She uh, she made one that was uh, I think essentially I'm I'm heading home or heading home, and then it would get directions home open up the Maps app, starts giving turn-by-turn -turn directions, send a text message to her husband, give an estimated uh, arrival time based off of the current traffic, uh, open up the NPR app, and start playing her favorite show. Yes. And that, to me, is amazing, because especially when I'm out and I'm doing lots of things and there's a lot of sound and noise and, and I don't have my headphones. And then if I had to text my husband and say, hey, I'm going home now, I'll be there, blah, blah, blah. Like this would be just so awesome because you could just say, hey, I'm going home. And then Siri knows what to do and and who to text. Or or if I'm running late from my podcast with Jonathan, I can say, hey, running late. And then I'll send a text to Jonathan. Hey, Rachel will be there soon. <laughs> So it's not, you know, completely wide open developers. They're not creating, you know, just like any voice command they want. It's the built into features inside their app. And then the user gets to decide what those types of voice commands are going to be. So you don't have to um, restrict yourself to saying things exactly the way that the app expects you to. So that's one way that it kind of varies from the, the, uh, the Amazon Echo 
uh, system is that they have a whole bunch of voice commands. You can do a lot with their system, but you have to say the exact right words or word it exactly the way that the developer intends you to interact with it. Where this series shortcuts, you're able to actually choose how you want to word your commands. You can actually customize a lot. So it's very, very user customized, much more based around how you want to use it uh, versus how the developer uh, wants you to interact with it. And, and it's a testament to Apple, right? Because, I mean, I remember when I used to use Windows and JAWS, which is the most popular screen reader for Windows, um, we had to do a lot of, uh, you know, you had to learn exactly the shortcuts for everything. And Apple always lets you create your own shortcuts and customize and switch around. And, and then you can use that. You know, I can switch pretty much any shortcut that exists on, on the Apple iOS right now. And and then I can create my own. I'm used to it. Of course, you know, every time I switch, I have to carry on my seri- settings. But pretty much, it's that's the beauty of Apple. Like, that's why we, we work so much with users in Apple, because we could create all kinds of automations and really adjust to the need of whatever the accessibility need was. So to make this system work without getting too far into the weeds, Apple has a system that's basically called uh, Siri's Intent Engine. Uh, Engine's not the word that they use, but I think of it as like an engine that basically allows Siri to understand what you intend to do with it. And so what they do is they expose this Intent Engine uh, to the uh, developers, and they can create a variety of apps uh, that uh, can do various things. And so there's different categories from the developer side that they can create a voice command for. Uh, and I'm gonna give you, this is not all, I'm, I'm gonna give a few examples so you can get an idea of the types of commands that Siri's gonna so, support. So they, they, for one, they offer something called the generic intent. So their examples are to tell Siri to do something, to run something, or to go somewhere. Or for information is to view something or open an app. Ordering something like, uh, like a, uh, ordering food for example so i want to say siri order this or book an appointment or buy this item uh, there's even just start and stopping things so start a navigation session or just start something um, they're also opening up and i don't know where the barriers are here but also a share command so share this post this send this to somebody using whatever app or service i want i got so excited about that one <laughs> because i have such a hard time right now like you know if, if i want to do anything on social media i can do it but it takes so long you know it's like i don't know my sister posts something in facebook like probably like in 30 seconds and i don't know might take maybe four minutes you know so this got so exciting because I could just tell Siri, hey, share this photo or post it on Instagram, whatever. It's it's pretty exciting. So in addition to that, they do have functions for searching, downloading, and another set called Other that has such voice commands as set this, request this, toggle this, or check in. So this is going to all depend on how much developers invest in. I think developers are going to jump on this pretty quickly because I think they're also very excited about having access to create their own Siri commands. Uh, But this feature will launch along with iOS 12 
in uh, in somewhere in September. So typically they launch their operating system along with the new phone. The new phone typically typically comes out in September. That's pretty reliable simply because, uh, well, Apple always releases a new phone every year. And if they actually don't release it at the intended time, their stock takes a hit. People go, what's going on? Is there something wrong? You know, they really have a lot of pressure to release around that time. So I think we can pretty reliably say that September is probably when this is going to become available. And then all the apps are going to need to update to support it. And they'll have the reason why the developer conference happens is so the developers can start working on it now. So when iOS 12 comes out, there won't be a wait for your favorite app to get its new Siri commands. And that is awesome. So it'll be very interesting to see, you know, where this grows, but uh, I'm pretty excited. Uh, I'm a little curious if I'm going to get a little bit carried away and I'm going to start losing track of all my voice commands. I think I'm going to go back into the apps and double check, see what I set the uh, the commands to. I have a feeling I'll be a little bit too excited and I'll probably do a lot of those really simple ones like Siri, it's soup time or Siri, <laughs> let's party and have it play some music and send text to somebody or whatever. I think I'm going to, I think I'm gonna, probably going to go a little silly with Siri at first. I think I will like, um, I know that right now I can say like, you know, play my slip sleep playlist or play my i don't know workout playlist or something like that but i think it'll be so cool saying just like let's work out you know and then it already knows what playlist to play or or snap time and you know it'll play my relaxing or it's writing time and i mean so i think it'll be really cool i mean it just makes it so much easier and not having to know exactly like I mean, it, it's awesome to be able to put something that makes more sense and it's more natural to me than having to tell exactly what to do. Like right now, uh, you know, if I say make an appointment with blah, 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 like if I'm doing the calendar, I have to have the word appointment. Um, if I want to invite somebody to it, I have to have the word with and there. So uh, I think this would be really, really exciting uh, not just for me, but for a lot of people, I do think I might get, <laughs> I might lose track of my <laughs> shortcuts too, because I actually have a lot of shortcuts, you know, uh, there is right now you can go into your keyboard and create shortcuts. Uh, and, and then for example, if I'm going to write my email, all I do is, you know, R M M. So it's like Rachel Magario email. And, and then it kind of, it, when I type those three letters, then it already knows and it expands into my email. So it makes it typing a lot faster. But I've noticed that when I first started, I made so many shortcuts Then now sometimes I'm typing and then something expands and I'm like, whoa, what did that come from? And it was a shortcut I made and totally forgot it exists. And just for anybody who's curious about that, um, on at least on iOS, and uh, it is also available on, on macOS as well, you can actually find that uh, on in iOS under Settings, General Keyboards, and is listed as Text Replacement. And you'll find it very similarly placed on the Mac in the System Preferences under Keyboard, and there's a Text Replacement tab on that too. So if you want to check that out and explore it, you just set up uh, a couple keys, and whenever you type those keys in, it replaces it with whatever else you want it. So something really short to a long sentence or even a paragraph worth of text. So you might be wondering uh, two things. First of all, before I forget, you might be wondering, um, so iOS 12 comes out, 
uh, will it work on my device? The nice thing is that uh, iOS 12 will work on every single iPhone and iPad that supports iOS 11. So if you're already running the latest version of the operating system, you are already supported. But there might be another thing you're concerned about is that whenever you upgrade to a new version of iOS, you feel like my device is going to get a little bit slower, right? It's going to actually not run as well because they develop it for the newest and greatest hardware. So when you get all these new features, the new features are slow or they perform uh, with, uh, they just make your phone a little bit slower. And uh, there's also some good news about that as well is that one of the things that they're prioritizing in iOS 12 is performance on all devices. So Yay! That... I'll be able to use my mini iPad again. So I was a little bit, well, to be quite honest, a little skeptical because typically going these iOS updates, they're adding in, there is such a huge list of new features and new functionalities and new design elements that inevitably older devices are going to run a bit slower with them. And so I do have an iPhone 5S, which is the oldest phone that iOS 11 and iOS 12 support. And I installed the beta on it already. And I thought this is going to be a horrible idea because, well, the betas always run really poorly because they're betas. They're months away from being finished. Uh, but what do you know? The, the phone actually runs really well. With this very first version of the beta, I was shocked by that. And the second thing is, the phone is 100% faster. Uh, it actually does perform better. Now, it's not like a huge significance, but it's definitely noticeable. So if this early version of the beta is already performing better than iOS 11 on my device, and this is an old, unused, got a really old battery in it, it's it's not the best i'm running voiceover on it you know because i know it's vintage. a heavier load it's called vintage and it's <laughs> it's still it still works great so um i am very optimistic the beta is still early and we shouldn't make too heavy judgments based off of that but i do see better performance and okay, so did, did, this is the, the the main question here did you turn voiceover on Oh, yeah, I just said that. Yeah, I, I turned on voiceover with it and did all my navigation. I uh, wasn't losing my space because sometimes when there's a heavy load on the phone, especially if you're scrolling a long page, then voiceover uh, gets kind of, I don't know if it gets deprioritized. I don't know exactly what's going on. But what happens is you lose your spot, not because you did a bad gesture, but because the the UI refreshes and voiceover goes back to the top because it doesn't know where it's supposed to be. I'm not having that type of problem on this beta. So I'm very optimistic about it. But like I said, it's an early beta. Shouldn't be making too heavy judgments based off of that. Now, do you know how far you'll be able to go in terms of iPads and mini iPads and iPods? So the official list, I'm going to go based off the oldest. So if you've got something newer than this, then it does work. Uh, so uh -huh. iPhone 5S is the oldest version of the phone. The iPad Air, the first edition of the iPad Air, is the uh, uh, and forward is supported on the regular iPads. And then you need at least an iPad Mini 2, so the second version of the iPad Mini. And then if you have an iPod Touch, it needs to be the sixth generation or newer, which I believe okay. has been out for a couple of years. I, I, I'm a little bit less knowledgeable off the top of my head on on the ages of the iPod Touches, but... That is the full list. So that going forward, if you also go to Apple's webpage uh, and there's an iOS 12 right up at the bottom of that page is a list of 
every single device written out that supported. So if you're not sure, check out check it out on Apple's webpage. That's so exciting. I had totally forgotten about that. So that is a rundown of the Siri shortcuts. Uh, we've mentioned so far the two things, at least, that I'm most excited about, Siri shortcuts and then also that faster performance. But as far as accessibility and communicating with each other, there's a, a couple other things that are worth noting. Um, FaceTime, the video and audio from Apple to Apple device system, is expanding to support 32 simultaneous connections at a time. So I know a handful of uh, of people use that because it provides a higher quality call than the normal phone service does. Or if it, you're in an area that you don't have good cell signal, but you've got reliable Wi-Fi, that works. I know for people who are using the iPhone to communicate through sign language, now they can do multi-way calls uh, using that if their sign language is their preferred communication method. And so that's pretty exciting, too. I got really excited about it because <clears throat> I love um, FaceTime calls because the sound does sound better. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you don't need the video. Yeah, but the sound, it's, I don't know, three, four times better than a regular VIP call. And um, and I can never do it with more than one person. For that, I had to use like Zoom or Skype and, and I mean... I will say Zoom is not that bad, but a lot of times, like Skype, like it's not that great quality. It kind of really depends on everybody's uh, Wi-Fi and, you know, everything that's happening. But FaceTime, I always feel I'm right there in the room because I can hear everything. It'll be interesting because we currently use, for the sake of recording this podcast, I'm in Minnesota, you're in Colorado. And then everyone's normal will have a third guest on. We've been using Skype for that because it's been a kind of a default for doing podcasts. It supports multiple simultaneous connections. But as soon as this um, updated version of FaceTime comes out, we'll probably jump on and try to do the podcast using FaceTime audio instead. And then we'll tell you all about uh, how that works. And it's going to be exciting. So in addition to that, uh, there's a lot of new features, like we mentioned. Uh, there's just one more that I want to mention that made me think on, on iOS 12, and then we'll talk about the Mac OS. Um, but one other feature in iOS 12 uh, that I just think is generally interesting is I, I know more than a handful of, uh, of customers that I work with who are using the Voice Memos app to record, you know, different, you know, notes and meetings uh, rather than having to do written notes because they either find it uh, a lot easier or writing notes is particularly difficult or, you know, there's a lot of reasons why. And so Voice Memos has a new feature. If you do have more than one uh, Apple device, uh, so being another iPhone, iPad, or an Apple computer, it will synchronize all your voice memos across all your devices. So if you record on uh, a Mac, it will be show up on your iPhone. If you record on the iPhone, vice versa. And I know a lot of people who really rely on the voice memos app. Uh, and so that uh, that's a feature that just stood out to me as one that I know people who will find a, a great benefit in that. I've been using more and more. I used to have an app that I liked for recording, but... Uh, it's become unreliable. So more and more I've been using uh, voice memos. And I, in fact, I just used it three times for uh, lectures that I went to yesterday. And and it seems to work really nice. Yeah, I've got a couple of customers who are using an app. It used to be called like, 
Vox Up or something like that. It's called yeah. Rec Up now. R E C U Up. Uh, R E C U P. I mean, uh, and that one just simply records and drops an audio file into Dropbox. Um, so if you can't wait, you know that's that's something that that's worth checking out. That also reminded me, if you can't wait, if you really like the idea of these um, Siri uh, commands, these, and you want to get an idea of what creating your own commands going to be like, Apple actually bought a company. I think this was about two years ago, call, uh, two years ago called uh, Workflow, and their app is still available in the App Store. Workflow is the app that is going to become the Serious Shortcuts app, and it allows you to create a series of actions that you can perform, uh, but you have to press a button on the screen. The difference is now Siri is going to be able to integrate with that. So before I forget, uh, you can use the uh, check out the Workflow app on the App Store if you want to get just a taste. But I assure you that the new Shortcuts app looks a lot easier to use uh, than the workflow app is a little technical uh, but uh, I just uh, almost forgot about that yeah that's true so should we uh, do you have any other thoughts about iOS uh, iOS 12 before we move on to uh, Mac OS Mojave no I'm really excited about the Mac and all the amazing stuff that we'll be able to do so we can oh no there is one more thing apple watch yeah yeah so i thought we'd talk about apple watch after mojave okay all right then let's do mojave okay so i've got us so i've got our some uh some some segment music here so we can play so let's just try a little something i'm just we're just having some fun here so we're moving on to our next section mojave Oh yeah, <laughs> I like it. And I have to apologize to our listeners. I don't know why I have a terrible cough today, so uh, I've been trying to be quiet, <laughs> but I know it's coming through sometimes. So, Apple's operating system, uh, simply called the Mac OS now, uh, is uh, updating a new version called Mojave, and. There wasn't uh, nearly as many updates or changes as we got with iOS. There are some interesting ones as far as accessibility goes. Uh, there is a new mode called Dark Mode. And so Dark Mode, uh, instead of uh, the normal Mac operating system, is very bright. So we've got uh, windows that are backgrounds are white and uh, toolbars that are gray. And everything's very, very bright. And this new Dark Mode, it's a customizable interface that puts everything in a dark theme instead. So uh, dark gray backgrounds, darker colors. Uh, this is originally designed with the intention of designers who are working a lot with photos. and They want the photos to stand out. But the dark mode is also great because a lot of people who are low vision also have forms of light sensitivity. And some of them are used to using basically an invert colors mode where that would take all the colors and make them black and dark and all the bright uh, bright colors and make them dark and all the dark colors and make them bright kind of invert it and that is um you know it's kind of a hit or miss in a lot of ways because not all the elements that should be bright or bright should be dark or dark uh the dark mode provides a way that designers can design their apps to work with these dark backgrounds rather than hoping that the invert colors happens to work and so I do think there's going to be a handful of users who find dark mode uh, useful and a lot easier on their eyes. Yeah. And if you're feeling like moody, you can always go dark mode too. <laughs> K 
Okay, that was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> on, on top of that, we get the new FaceTime feature as well. So up to 32 simultaneous people on voice or audio calls, which is nice as well. Like I mentioned, sign language being a great way of communicating, high-quality audio being a benefit of that. Um, on top of that, they're starting something that is going to have a bigger impact to uh, to the Mac OS next year. But they're starting with it today, and that is they are starting to make some of the uh, coding APIs, the 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 the, bat, the pieces of uh, that uh, developers work with to develop their apps, uh, similar to what iOS is providing. So right now, if I designed an app. Uh, and I wanted to make a Mac version, I'd have to redo most of my user interface design work. So my core code would still work because if we're working with Swift or Objective-C, uh, one of Apple's you know programming languages, I could move a lot of that logic from one computer to another, but I'd have to redesign where all the buttons and the layout and all the individual pieces are uh, because they don't use the same system. They don't use the same design elements. And so Apple's starting to port over some of the uh, some of those design elements so that developers can take some of the UI work they're working on and transfer it over to the Mac, but take advantage of the things that make the Mac unique. That is having a mouse cursor uh, that is, you know, a lot more keyboard heavy navigation. Uh, a lot of the things that make a Mac special. So they're starting it by moving over some of their existing iOS apps that don't have a Mac version. So that's going to be the Apple News app, the Stocks app, the Voice Memos app, and the Home app, which allows you to control HomeKit, you know, light switches and thermostats and so forth. And then based off of their experience, this, that next year they're going to provide that to users. So they can carry over the work that they've been working on iOS, but create a unique uh, Mac-specific uh, user interface. And they did specify that they're not moving towards putting touchscreens on the Mac. These apps are going to be designed to work with the keyboard and the mouse like Mac apps work right now. Thank goodness. Because, I mean, I think it's kind of cool, but I remember we used to work with a Surface before and I don't know. I I didn't like it. It, it was uh, it was like, I want to be a tablet and I want to be a computer and I got my tablet and I got my computer and I got my phone and and when I'm in my computer I really like my keyboard and and the power of it. Well there's some aspects too of a touchscreen app versus a computer app that are distinctively different even user interface design. So for example a lot of apps on the iPhone not a lot of apps a handful of apps use this tabbed interface and in iOS these tabs are at the bottom. So if you think of the uh, the phone app, for example, or even the App Store app, they have a section of buttons, four or five buttons, typically at the bottom of the screen that separate the app into sections. So on the phone, you've got favorites, recent calls, uh, the dial pad, voicemail, and you use the bottom of the screen to choose what section of the app you're using. Well, that's a user interface design element that's not consistent with the Mac. The Mac tends, if it's using... Uh, different tabs, those tabs are at the top of the screen, not at the bottom. And the nice thing about their design element is it's going to uh, push the developers to use the Mac concepts of how things should be. So, for example, the apps that I've seen that Apple moved over, the tabs are at the top instead of the bottom, which makes sense for the way that the Apple's designed to work. The buttons are not 
tiny either because the phone screen's much smaller. So everything's expanded to be larger on the screen. Uh, and they're relying a little bit more on, uh, oh, I'm forgetting the words here. They're working, they're relying a little bit more on sidebars uh, where the Apple Mail app on the iPad has a list of the inbox on the left-hand side and the content. And and that sort of elements are, are being used like in the news app. And the nice thing is if you are a voiceover user, you can use that VOJ, you know, the jump back and forth between those elements or use your own hotspots. They're highly customizable. And the apps that Apple's moved over, uh, as I would hope to expect, uh, are not only designed to work with voiceover, but they use a lot of the voiceover navigation shortcuts to work with these, even though they've been brought over to iOS. So I think it's going to be interesting. It's going to open up uh, the Mac to getting a lot of software that developers are worried about spending the extra time on because the Mac OS is so much less of a market than the iOS market is, but they can capture that market without having to invest a large amount of time. And I don't think we're going to see a sacrifice necessarily in quality uh, of an app that's 100% originally written for the Mac, but we'll see. And I, yeah. And I, and I think it'll be, it will it'll bring more consistency across and, and it will make it easier for that. Cause right now, I mean, there's so many, apps that I use on a Mac that when they come to the iOS, they're not that great or vice versa. So that, that we'll see, it's going to be pretty exciting. And, and from a standpoint of a designer, I think it'll make life a lot easier. And developers, they want to be, and I'm going to try to word this correctly here. Developers want slash need to be lazy sometimes. And what I mean by that is they want to write as little code as possible because the code you you write is the code that can have bugs in it. You want everything to be as smooth and consistent. You want to be able to do the work right one time. And if a developer is able to write an iOS app and the app and the code is working good, it would be beneficial for them to move that code over to the Mac platform, knowing that it's good code, noting that it works well, knowing that they don't have to rewrite everything because rewriting it opens you up to mistakes. And so this will uh, be a great benefit to developers, motivate them to make a Mac version of the app. But at the same time, the general design, at least what I've I've seen so far, and of course, like I said, next year is when this is going to become available to other developers. Uh, These apps are not going to be iOS apps on the Mac. They're going to be Mac apps with uh, using some of the same code base. So we're not going to lose the unique experience, navigation standards, and and general design standards of the Mac, hopefully. And experience is everything. So that's a a big one. And as part of that, as we mentioned, like the voice memos is now available on the Mac. It's not currently available, but they've moved it over using this new, uh, this, uh, this new system of, of bringing the, the two different c- code bases closer together. And I think the handover will be really a lot smoother than, how do you call that? Handover, handshake, and... Handoff? Handoff. <laughs> Thanks. So handoff's when you're taking, when you're working on the iPhone <laughs> and you want to take the work you're doing currently and transfer it, start working it on the Mac. Handoff is a feature that shows up in the dock on the Mac allows you to kind of take over what you're doing on one device and control it on the other. And if those apps are similar, written from the same code base, that handoff should be nice and smooth. Yeah. Another thing that uh, wasn't part of the keynote, but one of the things I noticed looking at the, the beta uh, and getting into that a little bit is um, 
they made a lot of changes to the Mac App Store. So they're trying to make the Mac App Store uh, easier to navigate, easier to explore. But part of that I noticed is they've taken the, the system software updates out of the App Store and put them back in system preferences. So oh. if you go into system preferences, you can go in and check up your system updates and check your updates there. And you can even set up a much more advanced auto installation option specifically for system and security updates. And I like that. I don't like having to go into the app store to see if there's, you know, an update to the operating system, an update to the security settings. Uh, I never think to go to the app store for the system. And so I like that they have pulled it out and put it in system preferences. Although it's a beta, they could move it back before the final version. It's not a formally announced feature change. Well, what I don't uh, get, though, it's like, you know how, like, right now you download your OS updates on, on like, for example, when I bought my computer, I think we had Sierra, the operating system, and then I downloaded Hi Sierra. And then if you ever need to go back for some reason or whatever, it's there on the App Store. So what happens then if you move it to a system, then how do you ever, like, get a hold of your uh, specific OS or something? It's or a good it's a good question. I think as the update comes out, I'll, I'll have a better idea of that. I, uh, okay. The iOS update, iOS 12 and my 5S works great. But I loaded the Mojave uh, beta onto a external hard drive connected to my iMac because I don't want to load it onto the computer I'm using right now. It's a beta. It's not designed to be used daily. It's d- designed for testing. And... Uh, that version is, because I'm running it on a slower hard drive, I don't have the best hardware setup for it. That one's not running as smoothly, so I haven't been spending as much time in it. Uh, so uh-huh. I'll do more investigating, and I'll do more looking around, but that's a that's a good question. And, is, uh, and generally speaking, the thing that makes it really tough is that the Mac operating system is not designed to be rolled backwards. And so you oftentimes want to make sure if you are updating to new operating system that you do a full backup if you intend to go backwards because it's better to wipe your hard drive and install the old version than it is to try to roll backwards. Uh, So that's always a tricky, tricky situation. Yeah, and I don't think that is actually something that happens much as an Apple user, but I do remember that as a Windows user that... um, had to happen a few times when screen readers weren't really uh, updated at the same rate as the uh, operating system. So, I mean, I've, I haven't, I don't think I ever had to go back on a, a Apple operating system. I have once, I think once I did. <laughs> One of the things that Windows does uh, is tries to create like a separate version, like an image of what your system was before the update. So you have that option to roll back. And the Mac OS, as far as I know, doesn't really do that. So rolling backwards is a trickier situation on the Mac. But generally speaking, because they also, you know, Apple builds the, uh, the screen reader and the operating system and those teams work together. You know, the need for that is hopefully significantly less. Yeah, I do. I remember. I think it happened only once. I think when Yosemite came out, if I'm not mistaken, and I was so used to Maverick. And I remember at work we rolled out on Yosemite, and I hated it. <laughs> and I think we went back. No, it was Mountain Lion before I think Yosemite. But anyways, I remember we rolled back 
just because I couldn't get used to some changes, but that was when the uh, OS had a huge overhaul and many, many things changed. And, but ever since then, like I remember uh, Yosemite, I put it back on at some point and then uh, from El Capitan on, like it's been super smooth and super amazing. So yeah, it usually doesn't happen on an Apple. Yeah, and I think accessibility users, hopefully, well, you're probably used to the idea that updates can be a bit scary because what might be a minor bug to somebody, you know, with a keyboard and mouse uh, could be just a complete, you know, breakdown if there's a major bug in the voiceover. So, you know, you've got to be cautious with updates, regardless of how much you trust the company. It's always a good idea, especially with the major iOS and macOS updates to uh, wait a little bit or, or check out sites like uh, appleviz.com. And, and they have usually have a full rundown of bugs that they've been testing for and, and make sure that you're, that you're confident that the transition is going to work well for you. Cause there's nothing worse than working and relying on a computer and then having a particular bug that maybe doesn't affect everybody, but is a real deal breaker for you. Uh, and it's best to wait. Yeah. And even, I uh, mean, among blind people, it kind of depends on the user. Like I use multiple languages and I remember, um, I think it was, yeah, it was maybe between Sierra and high Sierra. There was a major, uh, bug on, on language. Uh, and, um, because I like to control my language, they created a thing that you could read, you know, it, it would, it would kind of detect when you switch languages and, and automatically switch the voice for you, but it didn't happen that great. And then at some point I had to, to be able to, to do that by myself, but it got fixed so fast that it was not even a, a deal breaker. I just had to wait maybe, I don't know, less than a month, I think. And, um, and the truth is, you know, it, it, Apple, it's very, very responsive and you hardly have to worry about it. So there's a variety of additional updates, Mojave. I encourage people to go to apple.com and check out the Mojave update listing for a list of everything. There's a lot of enhancements to the, to the Finder, uh, a new view mode called Finder Gallery that uh, is a much more visual way, although it does have, uh, at least from my testing, uh, it does navigate very well with voiceover, where it allows you to go through files in a folder and uh, get a large preview of it and all the metadata. And although the preview might not be useful for people with you know very low vision, uh, they you can use like the VOJ to jump to the metadata real fast without having to hit command I to get to info. I know I'm getting a little in the weeds here right now, but uh, the finder, <laughs> the finder is, it, it does have some improvements uh, to it. And then they do have a feature for people with messy desktops that will take. <laughs> hey, are you talking about somebody, you know, nobody in particular, no one <laughs> in particular. I, I will say I am looking at my desktop right now and it is, uh, it's got five file folders on it designed specifically for my workflow and it is a well-oiled machine so this feature is not for me but for other people who will not mm -hmm. be named well there are people that have like 300 things open at once <laughs> so what this feature is it's called stacks and what it will do is it will take all the files on your desktop and put them into categories so it will take all the images and put them together all of the folder well a list of all the folders uh all the image and the videos and so and it's an optional feature it's not it's it's something you can turn on 
And uh, that way, instead of navigating and trying to go through all your files, you can say, oh, I'm looking for a Word document that's on my desktop. Uh, so you, when you navigate the desktop, you'll get to the Word documents and you'd hit VO space and then boom, opens up a list of all your Word documents and you can choose if those are organized by uh, uh, date created or file name, etc. So it can make navigating a very busy desktop uh, a lot easier. Yay! I'm going to love it. So is there anything else, Mojave, you wanted to mention before we quickly talk about the Apple Watch? And then I've got a couple more comments about some of the uh, presentations Apple Apple did for their developers. But anything else about Mojave? Uh, no, not really. I just want to know what that name came from. When they're all parks, is Mojave a park? Mojave is the uh, desert. The desert um... in California. So they, the last three operating systems have been named after mountains. And so they decided to go to the desert. So instead of going up high, they went down low. Oh, okay. We're in the valley now. Exactly. <laughs> okay, that was just a fun fact. All right, so we can move on. All right, let's cue that funky transition music. All right, Apple Watch time. I really like that one. That is totally me. So... Apple Watch. I just want to talk about uh, very briefly because the Apple Watch is getting just some, some some general improvements. A lot of a lot of additions to the activity features and the workout features. So you can do workout competitions uh, with your friends. Uh, it's got a lot more of running uh, fitness modes to track different types of running, whether it's interval. Or, I guess interval training's in there already, but they're adding new more more types of exercises. It. Uh, they're integrating Apple's podcasts app into it. So you can load your favorite podcasts into your watch and then go running without your, um, without having to bring your phone with you. Uh, and, uh, but the thing I really wanted to talk about uh, was the uh, walkie talkie mode. And so walkie talkie mode is a new way of connecting with friends. And rather than having a phone call, or rather than sending a text message, which you can both do on the phone right now, you can set a mode so that when, um, you're communicating with someone, you can touch your finger to your watch and talk into it like a old fashioned walkie talkie. Well, I guess they're still modern walkie talkies. So you would just press and hold but the button. But they haven't changed much. No, they haven't changed a huge amount. Yeah. So what you do is you simply touch and hold on the screen. So first of all, you choose who you want to communicate with and it puts a big button on the screen. You touch and hold, uh, speak into the walkie talkie and then let go and it sends that recording live to uh, the other person and then they can touch and hold to respond. So rather than being on a continuous phone call, you basically touch and hold when you want to talk uh, and you can communicate with somebody that way. So it's a uh, not the same as text messaging, especially if you're, if you've had that series a hard time with your voice, you can send a quick audio message to somebody. Yeah. Well, that helps. Uh, I have several friends that have, heavy accents and they have trouble with Siri sometimes. They always tell me, ah, I hate Siri. So I think um, that would solve that problem. And uh, and there's a whole opportunity in it, Jonathan. I will be able to like spam you even more. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, sometimes I send Jonathan like, 10 messages, one after the other. So he usually knows who it is. <laughs> well, also, I, I notice, and 
you know, while we're airing out everyone's laundry here, uh, uh, <laughs> that uh, sometimes you don't you you don't uh, audit uh, the uh, series of voice recognition, and <laughs> and sometimes it, your text messages come in a little bit funny sounding. Yeah, and he goes like, "What?" <laughs> Yeah, because usually if you talk on Siri or in the dictation, uh, you usually have to kind of go listen back and make sure, you know, think. but often when I'm texting, you know, my close friends and I just, I just dictate and send. <laughs> and sometimes later I go like, what was that? And but, but come on, it gives you a laugh, doesn't it? Comes some really funny things sometimes. That is true. <laughs> I also like the walkie-talkie feature. If you're communicating with someone who's maybe in the same building as you, you want to talk to them or send them some information, but it's not convenient to do a phone call and you want to be clear. I think it's a uh, uh, another good feature for that as well. I can imagine using that uh, with my wife quite a bit, uh, especially if like one of us is out in the yard and just wants to get the other person's attention. Uh, it could be a little bit better than sending a text message because it's audible and I can hear it, and it, but it's not having to set up a whole phone call and having to hit an answer and go through the whole rigmarole. So that particular feature is what I'm most excited about in the new Apple Watch update. Uh, but they are also getting access, you know, to smarter Siri. So it's going to integrate with, uh, you know, your your Siri voice commands that you set up on your phone. Uh, and then they're going to transfer over to the watch. So that is going to be nifty as well. It's nice to have a a, a smart version of uh, of Siri on the watch as well. I think my husband, now I won't be able to convince him to get an Apple Watch. Because now he's going to say, oh, no, when I go to the yard, I want to be far away from your talking. <laughs> yeah, there's something to be said for being too connected to each other. <laughs> Well, there's something to be said to me, to connect it to me. <laughs> I talk too much. All right. Well, that's that's fun. I, I'm kind of excited for it. And, and I actually like the podcast. I mean, I have the, you know, the, what do you call that? The Wi-Fi, wireless, whatever. The I have the Apple Watch that doesn't need the phone. But you, You've got the cellular in addition. I've got the Wi-Fi only. But you've got the cellular version. Yeah, but I but it's still a little bit problematic sometimes when I want to play music when I'm out and about. So it'll be kind of interesting to load my podcasts in it. So and there's a lot more updates, uh, a lot of small improvements, a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of small changes to the Apple Watch. And once again, I'm going to tell you to go to Apple.com because they've got a whole link on the main page to it. Uh, but I didn't want to spend a ton of time with Apple Watch and. We're starting to go a little bit long here, and there's just a cute couple more things I wanted to say about things that I had listened to on some of the uh, developer-specific um, sessions at Worldwide Developer Conference. So is there anything else that you have to say about the Apple Watch before we uh, transition? One more No, time. I think that is awesome. So do we get our music? Uh, yes, we do. Okay, let's so, do it. All right. So we're going to get uh, a little funky again and trans and. Uh, and uh, start Let's talking. Let's hit the about... developer song. All right. Oh yeah. Wow, you got the really fancy one for the developers. <laughs> Full disclosure: I'm playing these in no particular order. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know. I'm just busy. <laughs> so the last thing I want to talk about is so Apple holds a lot of these individual sessions on uh, uh, on various topics at all of their uh, developer conferences. So it's another conference that they've got multiple sessions going on. Developers decide what they want to attend and what they're most interested in. Uh, so they've got you know a whole sessions on the new Siri, a whole whole sessions on you know good coding practices, and they always have a couple of sessions on. Uh, accessibility as well. They had four of them for this particular conference. So one was uh, called AV Speech, Speech Synthesizer, Making iOS Talk, which is a feature for adding speech in speech feedback into your apps, but without necessarily going through voiceover. So people who want just a little bit of voice feedback, or if you want to have the phone speak something and uh, not necessarily send that signal through voiceover. So voiceover user would still benefit from it. Uh, but allows you to customize and create your own speech. Uh, and they're doing that in the context of accessibility, although you might use it for a lot of different reasons. Uh, they also had a, a whole session just on teaching developers how to implement the drag and drop feature that they added to iOS in uh, version 11. It's in the last version. Uh, especially on the iPad, they've had this drag and drop feature, and a lot of developers have not been developing it in a super accessible way. So how to make sure that uh, voiceover users are able to use the drag and drop feature effectively and you're able to convey the availability of that feature. So that's just a, another thing they're focusing on. And they did two, oh, go ahead. No, I said if I had a song right now, I would go hallelujah. <laughs> and then they did two additional ones. Uh, the w one that was called voiceover app testing beyond the visuals. And I want to talk a little bit about that one. Uh, and then uh, another one that was delivering, uh, oh, sorry, deliver an exceptional accessibility experience. And this was about people who maybe know a little bit about accessibility. Maybe they've audited, audited their apps and made sure they're accessible. But this one's about going to the next step is making that experience exceptional. Uh, one of the quotes from that one I thought was interesting was that was basically that people on this platform, they, they're not looking for good enough, right? People don't come to Apple products so they can get something that's okay. People want something that's great. And that means that if you're going to, if you're going to develop an app and you want it to be uh, exceptional, then your accessibility access to it can't be okay. It also needs to be exceptional. So, Hallelujah. so they're talking to developers about what makes an an exceptional accessibility experience not an okay but an exceptional experience but the reason why i brought this up originally and you can actually watch any of these developer uh, conference uh, videos for free they record all of them and you can actually go back years and look at all their sessions and you can go to them you don't need a developer account but you can visit uh, developer.apple.com and you can view any of the videos for free uh but the particular session I there's a particular session I wanted to talk about was the one that was called voiceover app testing beyond the visuals. And the presenter of that was a, a man called James Vest, and his job title is Apple Quality Assurance Engineer. And the reason why I bring this one up, and, and these sessions are very interesting, although they are very technical. They talk specifically about what code you might use. Uh, and then design standards, and and it's not uh, not not designed for just anyone to listen to. Although anybody can, uh, they are kind of technical. So if you do get into them, they get really into the weeds here. But this James Vest opened up uh, this particular session 
uh, with a couple of statements I thought was interesting, which I want to share with you here. Um, one of the quotes he was talking about uh, in regards to testing your app with voiceover uh, was that uh, he said, quote, every person who uses your app has access to voiceover, but not every voiceover user has access to every app. <laughs> okay, we're going to put that one on our site. <laughs> and so he was talking about the, that's why you should test your app. And also he wanted to reiterate that if you test your app with voiceover, you're accomplishing more than testing to see how a blind person or a low vision user might use your app. You're doing far beyond that. So many other accessibility elements like switch control for people who have uh, you know motor difficulties, they use the infrastructure that VoiceOver has. So you're not just helping one group of people, you're helping a lot of accessibility users because they rely on all that backend technology that VoiceOver uses. But you're also learning to experience your app in a new way and deciding, does it flow correctly? Because with voiceover users, generally speaking, you're starting at the top of the screen and flicking to the right to go next, next, next. And that's the way most people would read. And so when you audit your app with voiceover and you navigate the way someone who is using voiceover for the first time would navigate, you're actually exploring the flow of your application, your user experience of your application, not just for the voiceover user, but for everybody. Everyone's gonna look at your app this way. Does it make sense with voiceover? If it doesn't, it probably doesn't make sense for your sighted yep. users also. Correct. So it gives you an amazing new way, as he, as, as he was saying, to you know, audit your app. Because if it doesn't work for voiceover, maybe it probably doesn't work for your sighted users either. Um, he also made another statement. This was just really, they're just really on topic. Is he said that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit. So it's not an exact, this one's not an exact quote, but he says, Essentially, that supporting voiceover doesn't mean creating or maintaining a separate or simplified version of your app. It's about allowing all users access to the experience you are creating. Yes. And I know we've Can't talked. Can't agree more. And I know there's been some talk recently at some groups and so forth that think that the best way to give an accessible experience is to simplify their their app beyond what it was originally designed to do to make a separate version of it. But that's not really about equal access, is it? That's 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 a separate. No. And that that's what really gets me going and pumped up because, I mean, I went to design school to get a master's exactly to avoid it because I remember back then uh, Gmail had an HTML, basic HTML version only. And that version didn't get updated for the chat and all this other stuff features that the regular uh, Gmail has. I mean, today uh, they still have that version, but uh, you can use the, you know, the regular version very well with uh, with a screen reader. And, and the reason I went was because we always think that to make something accessible for anybody, but specifically for the blind, is they think is just, let's just make a less... Uh, you know, a lesser experience and simplified, oversimplified, because that's not even simplified, right? Because every experience shouldn't be, uh, it should be simple, sophisticated, but simple, right? And, but they think it's like, let's just make a less complicated version and then we give this to the blind. And, and I'm actually going through experience 
just like it right now. And and I think that this is this is wrong in many ways. So another thing that they were talking about in uh this was more uh this is not in the uh, testing voiceover, but it was generally about delivering exceptional accessibility experiences. One word they kept saying over and over again, this was very much developer conference, very much an engineer's way of thinking about it, but an interesting thought uh, that was uh, uh, repeated a couple times was that uh, inconsistent or strange layouts of an app cause unnecessary cognitive load on the user. Yes. And they kept repeating this over and over again. Cognitive load, that is, if your application is, like I said, inconsistent again or strange or overloaded with things, uh, especially for a voiceover user who, especially inconsistencies for a voiceover user, but especially for all your users, that they have to spend so much time having to think about and focus and kind of decode your application. It's a lot of cognitive load. They're going to get tired. They're going to get exhausted. They're going to, they've got a lot, a lot of other things they should be spending their, their, their thoughts on. Uh, don't make them do it to your app. Yeah. And then they are not going to, I mean, eventually your product fails because nobody wants to be cognitively loaded. I've had a lot of customers who have been trying to train how to use various apps with voiceovers. They want to use it because uh, they, uh, you know, all their friends are using it. Well, maybe it's the the Facebook Messenger app being one. It's a very, you know, it's a messaging app, but it's very loaded with different sections, especially on the iPad, different navigation elements. And things kind of move and shift and, and are very context sensitive. And I've had more than one customer kind of give up on it just because it required so much, not that they couldn't do it. It just required so much energy to figure out and navigate their application. It just wasn't worth the payout. I, you know, actually, I know we're going long, but this just happened to me uh, this past week. And I was talking to, uh, I'm taking a, a course, and I was talking to their staff and explaining how, you know, the PDFs didn't really work for me. And, and you know, and, I, and a few other things uh, in, in terms of the communication. And it's so funny because they told me, oh, we had a blind person. And then... You know, they had this blind person write to me and then he was just saying, you know, how how he did it. And I told him, I said, do you work? And he's like, no. And I said, how long did it take you to go through this? Like an average, oh, like four to five hours on my day. I said, I don't have that. And I said, and I shouldn't have to go through this. Like for other people, it's, and they say it in the course, it takes you one hour, like per day, right, to get through it. So I... I even put two hours for me to get through it. But no, I am not going to spend five hours doing something that doesn't make any sense. I mean, it, it's cognitive load. I, I have I run my own business. I don't have that kind of time to do that kind of thing. And um, yeah, so we got to some kind of agreement and, and it's going to work out. But I, I really want to tell people that we should stop just because one blind person did something. We shouldn't compare. And we should definitely... Because we don't know the ability of the user, we don't know about their lives, and and you know, and if one has a whole day to give to your product, then more power to them. But I shouldn't have to spend a whole day to use your product. And I sort of said this earlier, but I, I wrote this down in my notes while I was listening to that uh, to that deliver an exceptional accessibility experience. Uh, so this is a paraphrase again, but. Uh, 
I just want to repeat it again because I thought it was important, is workable is not exceptional. And Apple users want an exceptional experience, not a workable experience. Yep. And I think everybody should be able to have access to that. People, developers, they want to make exceptional apps. No one's out there to make a, like, oh, well, this is a barely, well, not nobody. Some people out there saying, I want a barely functional app, uh, as long as there's something out there. But what we should really be striving for is exceptional and although, like you said, some user can do it, although it takes them longer and they have to decode it and they maybe experience with a similar thing, or maybe they had a sighted person help them get it set up in the first place or whatever reason, I shouldn't need all those things because should be, we should be trying to give everyone an exceptional experience that works for them. And uh, that's, that's the end goal. And uh, we can do better. Yeah. And I will always work with people that tell me, hey, what's the best way? You know, and not just just shove down my throat, whatever system you created. And then you say, like, oh, just use it. And you can't. I mean, it's it goes back to to my uh, C, you know, um, model, because it starts with customer satisfaction. And ultimately, that's what anybody creating any product wants is your customer satisfaction first and foremost. And if we don't have that, then it's, you know, it, it doesn't, I, I agree with Apple. I think it has to be exceptional, but a lot of people say, oh, I'm, I don't want to create an exceptional, but even if you don't want to create an exceptional, you have to create at least a satisfactory um, experience for your customers. Otherwise, why should they spend any money on you? One other thing that James Vests was talking about too, is that, um, you know, that the, the, especially the blind community, but a lot of the accessibility com communities are pretty tightly knit and they communicate with each other too. So if you make the app that gives the exceptional, then it's going to get, word's going to get around. It's going to get into that community and everybody's going to want to use your app and you're going to open yeah. up yourselves to a, to a new opportunity. And they're not used to people working um, exceptionally inside of all the time. You know, they're, they're used to good enough experiences and so if you perform you to take the time you make your app the exceptional one they will pay you back and that will they will pay you back with users yes well and with money too i mean i cannot tell you like how many times now i have somebody else try a product before i invest in it if it's expensive it's like why would i give you my money if you don't care about me also just in case you know for anybody who who who's a sighted user who's watching these videos they they do a voiceover demo they take an app that's inaccessible and they modify it a lot you know live they modify it to make it accessible uh and the one they're doing is like a, a dog adoption app so they have lots of cute pictures of dogs in that video so just just so you know <laughs> <laughs> i was right. pretty excited i saw it and 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 i was like oh look at all those pictures of dogs and uh and so they they actually show a, an app example a problem with an app develop uh you know where something is technically usable with voiceover but not uh not optimized and it's a really good example because it's a type of app i've seen this exact same problem over and over and over again where um, the user cannot navigate it in a natural way. Although technically, if they drag their finger around, uh, they can make the app kind of work. And so it's a good, it's a good example of uh, both uh, an app that is technically accessible, but not really workable, and uh, exactly how uh, it can be fixed. And how I'm, also, I'm also seeing, because you know, you know me, I'm not much of a, 
a swiper. I'm more like of a, you know, I, I like to drag my finger around. And I've been noticing too that there's a lot of apps that I'm being forced to swipe because it doesn't read what's under my finger when I drag it. So uh, I think it's going both ways. Yeah. So they talk about exactly that, you know, when the different ways you, you navigate and then, you know, how to make sure your app is presenting information to voiceover in a way that it can read so that when you touch something, the element is, is, is visible, is present so that right. voiceover knows where that is. But then also when you swipe to the right, does it read in the right order? Cause it's really common for apps to, to read out of order because the, the developer assembled the app in a, uh, a, a way that voiceover doesn't, isn't able to infer how things should be read. So just like PDFs. Ouch. All right. I think we covered everything. I think we covered everything we wanted to talk about today. Um, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of updates uh, that they announced. Uh, those will be coming out, like I said, again, in September is about the time we can expect some of these to roll out. They won't all roll out. They probably won't all roll out at the same time. Probably iOS 12 and the Apple Watch will come out. Mojave might come out at a different time. Their only specific promise is fall. Uh, but uh, if patterns uh, can be uh, can can help us determine when it might come out, September seems like a promising time to expect. And as we go on, we will comment. And if you have questions, don't forget to write to us at feedback at access.ninja. And we will be able to address it for you. And you can check out show notes. So I'll link back to some of these uh, videos at uh, access.ninja. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And also, if you want to take a little bit of time and give us a comment or a rating, that would help us as well. So with that, I want to thank everyone for joining us. And uh, hey, you know, be nice to each other, all right? See you next time. <laughs>